Hi there and welcome to another episode of the 33 Fuel podcast. My name is Warren, I'm one of the co-founders here at 33 Fuel and today's show is all about intermittent fasting. Um, you've probably come across the concept of fasting before, it's, it's hardly new, it's been with us for quite literally millennia. Um, but it does have a good opportunity to uh, help health and performance. And there's quite a lot of content out there on this. There's a pl- plenty of evidence out there. It's something we've certainly covered before uh, in our own content here at 33 Fuel. But uh, in response to a piece we put out recently, uh, Rena McGregor, who is an excellent sports nutritionist, uh, dietitian, and eating disorder specialist, she got in touch. Um, and she said, well, look, all very well, but there's a downside to intermittent fasting as well. And this is what she's now joining us on the show to talk about today, because whereas intermittent fasting can have benefits, um, what is much less often spoken about is that it can have some pretty serious downsides as well. Um, So if you are considering intermittent fasting in any shape or form, absolutely do not do it until you have listened to this show, because... For some people, or at certain times, whether it's with regard to training load or or life stress or whatever it may be, intermittent fasting can go from being a positive tool to something seriously negative. Um, It's a fascinating chat and and really brings so much value to this with her clinical background uh, on what exactly happens when intermittent fasting goes bad and how you can tell whether it's the right thing for you to be doing or not. So look, Enjoy this show. It's just another part of our mission here at 33 Fuel, which is giving athletes the best possible tools to take their performance and their health. Because let's face it, health and performance are the same thing. And if you don't believe me, try going for a run and setting a PB when you've got a cold. Um, We're just all about giving athletes the best possible tools to take their health and performance to the next level and beyond, both for race day today, for training tomorrow, but for life, onwards and, for, and uh, you know, for the rest of it. We've all got a long race to run in this life. Anyway, so look, we do that with all this great content that we share with wonderful people like Rini coming on uh, through our podcast, through our vlogs, through our social media. And we also do it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year in store at 33fuel.com where we make and sell the finest high-performance natural sports nutrition. We are talking no preservatives, no sweeteners, no junk. Everything is just real food made very, very powerfully so that you can race and train to your absolute maximum. So look, enough of this. Let's get into intermittent fasting and the potential downsides that it can bring with Rini McGregor. Rini, thanks so much for coming back on. You are breaking new ground here. You are the first person to make a second appearance on this podcast and uh, with very good reason. It's great to have you here. (laughs) Thank you for having me back. I feel slightly nervous about the fact that I might you know let you down with your expectations but fingers crossed it'll be good (laughs) no absolutely no chance of that I mean just to put this in a bit of context I mean the the reason that we've reconnected on this one is because we put out um, a blog post about intermittent fasting and some of the benefits and how you could get started and and you reached out and said well hey maybe but there can be a downside and it can be quite serious Point being, um, it may not be for everyone. So really, I'd love to hear from you um, where you think the dangers lie and what people do need to be aware of if they're going to even start investigating this. Yeah, no, I think, um, and again, just say thank you to actually acknowledge my my concerns and I suppose the reason why I reached out to you guys in particular is because I know that you genuinely have a real responsible um, kind of culture within with, with within what you do, and so I knew that I could sort of say, "Hey guys, I'm just a bit worried about this post." Um, I guess a lot of my my fears come from the individuals I work with in terms of they are already probably people who are restricting their their intake or um, you know over over training and not quite meeting their requirements and. And I suppose the the issue with the intermittent fasting thing is that it, it has a real negative impact on hormonal regulation. So while it has big connotations for some people, it still probably isn't what you're looking for, even for the average 
athlete, the average recreational person. Um, I think it's obviously been it's been pushed very much as a as a weight loss um, process, like a, a weight loss kind of trend. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I have used it with athletes in the past, um, but I've used it in a very supervised manner um, and for a very short period of time. So where I've used it is if we have to hit weight or if we have to um, reach a certain aesthetic for a major, major competition, then in order to give the the athletes some kind of parameters around nutrition, I've used it in the kind of 8-16 way. So they could they can they can feed for eight hours, but they don't feed for 16 hours. So um, you still make sure that they're getting the fueling around their training, which is really important. And I guess that was one of the things I was worried about from from the post is that we throw out all this information around nutrition you know we hear about it and maybe not everybody goes to the um extreme to actually educate themselves about what what that should look like you know it's very easy to go oh, intermittent fasting oh it's you know five two it's 16 eight or well i'll just do it but maybe not thinking about the implications to life and training um so like i said when i've used it with athletes in the past we've done it in such a way that even though they would be fasting for 16 hours, they would still fuel before they trained. So we'd have to make sure that the training was also happening within those eight hours, which was quite challenging at times um, because, you know, you're not left with a big window to, to train, refuel and recover. So, um, and again, as I said, it was always done for a very short term. So probably no more than two or three weeks. And with me monitoring bloods, um, checking in with the athlete every day, making sure that they are, um, you know, energy levels are okay, they're sleeping okay, their motivation to train is good. Like, like it, it's it's quite an in-depth procedure when you're working at that kind of elite level. Um, so, so that's kind of the first thing. And I guess the other thing about it is that we, we know, especially when people are coming back from like red S, so the relative energy deficiency that we spoke about last time, and also overtraining. One of the things that we know is that recovery is all about distribution of energy through the day, but also about the quality of that energy through the day, you know, in terms of where you put everything. And we know that any slightly long gaps so any sort of, even if it's like five hours or six hours of fasting, especially for somebody who is coming back from that place, is enough to increase cortisol levels and prevent their pituitary gland from, you know, switching on and, and doing the work that it needs to do. So I guess like that was one of my, that was kind of my red flag when I saw the post. It was like, oh, I don't want the people that I'm working with to read this because they're going to think it's okay. And actually for them, it could be detrimental to their long-term recovery and health. And, you know, I've seen it quite a lot, even just in the last few weeks in clinic where people have been to see me and and still a lot of them are doing fasted training. So a lot of them are doing that kind of get up and and go go and ride their bike or go and do a hit session or go and do, you know, whatever kind of... um, and that is usually the reason why their hormones are are off kilter and they're not recovering to the to the extent they should be. It's a really interesting perspective that you bring to this because on Erica and my own personal journey, as we looked into fasting as a performance tool for you know average athletes all the way up to elite, it simply looked like it has it can have a health benefit as in you're giving the body a rest right so you give the body a rest from digestion the body can focus a little more on repair at its most basic level that that is appealing and that's quite easy to slot into 24 hours you know you can have your dinner late uh then you don't eat until maybe dinner the next day and if you want to push it a bit more well we'll fine go through to breakfast and within a healthy balance and a regular type training load and everything else and keep it, it seemed, you know, I think, how could this have a downside? Now, that's seen through our perspective. Your perspective, you're dealing with A, very high performance athletes, 
but also you're dealing with people who have gone too far beyond on either overtraining and underfueling, uh, and also or separately may have eating disorders. And if you put those together, I can suddenly see that the promotion of intermittent fasting to someone who already has a tendency to calorie restriction and eating disorder is like a green light to, hey, I'm, I don't have an eating disorder, I am just fasting, and this is good for me. And then if you continue that thread, um, it could almost be a gateway for people who were that way inclined that sets them off in the wrong direction rather than for, as you know, we'd originally looked at it and the reading we'd done and our research and other things had led us to believe that, you know, used occasionally, this is just a great thing for overall health that is, is an easy thing that people can add into their toolkit. Um, and not to say that it's going to turn into a demon for everyone, but your approach and view of seeing so many more people and people who have got it wrong or have issues that have led them to have problems around food, suddenly throwing fasting into that mix is like chucking a load of matches into a sort of uh, a load of petrol cans or something. It's clearly not not good. I mean, have I sort of seen that overview correctly? And if so, how could people work out whether you know, which side of the fence they're on and, and how do you know when intermittent fasting is going bad? Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you've nailed it, really, from from my perspective. I guess, I guess as a as a weight loss tool, um, my my thoughts about it would be that it's probably not for anybody that wants to be physically active. Because let's even take out the overtraining and the restrictive eating. Just if you look at biomarkers around fasting and fasted training and chron and, and and that kind of being a chronic thing that you do like if you did it the odd the odd time probably nothing is going to be problematic but if you do it routinely and you do it several days a week um, or, or a whole week that's when you're going to start to see the negative impact on the health and I suppose this leads me to a really nice kind of conversation that I'd like to open in terms of I've had this conversation, I think, with you before, but probably off, off, off camera, should we call it? Um, but where we've talked about kind of sports science, I think, is is very simple. It's been very, it's been simplified a lot. And and while there are some incredible academics in sports science, and I have absolute respect for all of them, I think it's really important to understand that a human body is not just physiology alone. And I think sports science only looks at physiology and the response to training or fuel or um you know an exercise stimulus it doesn't look at the wider picture in terms of biochemistry and endocrinology and and you know how the body is put together so i mean i always use the analogy of the tube map in london that you know when one line goes down on the tube map it has a huge effect on all the other lines on the tube map because everybody's trying to get to their destination but if they can't use like the northern line then they're going to end up using the Hammersmith and City line or the Victoria line or whatever it is and so there's a lot more pressure on that one line because it's suddenly you've got all these people trying to get to one place and I suppose what I mean by that is that it's so easy to think well if I do fasting I'm going to lose weight because that's what you hear and that's what you are told. And when you look into the, the simple ins and outs of it, that's what it's going to do. And yet, when you then look at the fact that, well, fasting can put a lot of stress on the body, it can increase your cortisol levels. And we know that chronically high cortisol levels then affects your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland. And that then affects your production of all your hormones that actually, oh, hang on a minute, they also are involved in not just keeping you alive and working well, but they're also involved in your training adaptation. So maybe I might lose weight, but I'm not getting the training adaptation I want either. So I think like it's, it's really important to understand that we are complex as you know, as a as a machine goes, we are we are not put this in and this is going to come out. We are a complex bundle of different nerves and processes and um, 
pathways that all interact and so if you you kind of affect one you're going to affect the other and I would I really want people to start seeing themselves in this way and and look at it and and I've just again I've just focused very much here on biology you know the biology of the body I haven't brought into the psychology of the body and again that's another whole part like you know in terms of our brain and and the messages you're creating and the language that we use with ourselves they all have an impact on then our behaviors so you know again if we simply we take the fact that somebody reads something on fasting goes I'm going to do fasting because I've heard it keeps me younger and I've heard that it helps me to lose weight so you're telling yourself that and you start to believe that and because you believe it it becomes your truth and it so much becomes your truth that it then is your behavior. It's how you, you know, you, it's how you then act that out because that is how you feel so incredibly. And I think you probably would agree that often when we make a change to our diet, we do feel better. But we probably feel better because we're thinking about it. Like, you know, if, if, if you and Erica have, have done the fasting um, things in the past and or you know you might think oh gee I do feel better because you've thought about what you're putting in you've thought about the process and like you said maybe especially if you do it at certain stages you might feel a little bit less um heavy should we call it in terms of because you're not eating you know you're not constantly eating or you're not fueling as much and your body's not having to digest and so like you said you're giving your body a break from digestion but I think it's also important to realize that if you restrict your intake for too long for a repeated period of time, the body is also going to start pushing back against that. And so what you might find is that you start to reduce your metabolic rate. So that metabolic rate will dial down. And if the metabolic rate dials down, that's going to have all sorts of effects on, like I said, training adaptation, hormones, your temperature control, your appetite as well like all these things become affected so I think that I guess that's where my my concerns have come from a fasting point of view I'm not I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I am a hundred percent anti-intermittent fasting but I am saying that it's something that you have to do under supervision and really understand the implications to your whole body not just see it as a as a well I need to lose weight and I'm going to do that or you know, it's going to improve my training, so I'm going to do that. Actually, you need to explore that a little bit more. And maybe people need to be very honest with themselves personally, what their what their motivations are, what do they expect to gain? Because it from all everything you've explained there, it, it is on the one hand, it's a very simple tool to implement, but that simple tool could send you in a number of directions you don't either intend or it may be uh, facilitating behaviors that are not helpful to you and if either of those things are happening then either you shouldn't be doing it or you should only be doing it with someone like you in the camp who's going to actually keep an eye on it so it's it is done properly um, I say from from certainly from just from a totally personal point of view I was like well this is just pretty good for health and it's easily done, and a day a month, and I'm not gonna do it when I'm training. And so because it was so easy, and the stuff I'd read made so much sense, and so same for Erica, didn't look at the, you know, didn't look beyond that, you know, and, and within our immediate group, oh, well, that makes sense, and other athletes we work with, it, it could make sense there, uh, as, as one tool to put in the toolbox. But I had not at any point considered the dark side of where it could go, and if it were to go too far in the wrong direction, the number of knock-on implications it could have. Yeah, and I think that's it. Like you're saying you're doing it once in a while because it just helps you to maybe reset. Maybe that's the focus for you. Maybe it just makes you feel a little bit better for, you know, because we all have times where we, we feel a bit sluggish, we feel a bit like low in energy and, and we look for an answer. Um, for me, it's when I switch off from social media and I try and sleep. <laughs> but, you know, other people, we, we all have our tools, right? We all have our have our ways of dealing with, with that kind of feeling. And, and I suppose, yeah, my, m I will always try and 
educate so that people make an informed choice. You know, I'm, I'm never, ever, ever been about telling people what to do. It's like even when I speak about, you know, veganism or um, plant-based diet or um, low-carb, high-fat, it's not my place to tell people what to do. That's entirely up to them. It's a personal choice. But it is my place to inform you of the potential risks, the potential positives, but also like, you know, and just give you give you give you the facts because that's my job and I suppose um I suppose that's where I get sometimes get frustrated when some of this information um is in the wrong hands and I wasn't talking about I'm not talking about you guys but like some you know we see it all the time it's being pushed a lot intuitive fasting intermittent fasting. I mean I saw a post on Twitter just yesterday and it's like a whole program come and you know, purchase your intermittent fasting and get the body type you want. And it's that sort of stuff. Really How do you purchase intermittent fasting? The whole point is you don't have anything. <laughs> well, exactly. I think it's a, it was a program you can buy into. So I guess it, I'm, I didn't, I haven't looked into it because it's yeah, not something yeah. I want to be involved with. But I think that's the problem, isn't it? It's, it's when things are being sold as a way of improving yourself and I would question, do you need to improve yourself? You know, that's always been my, the fundamental, that's like my philosophy is, do we really all, do we need to keep changing? Or actually, do we need to get to a place where we focus on accepting who we are, because we're all fine? You know, that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't have um, aspirations, and it shouldn't mean we shouldn't challenge ourselves or any of those things. But I think fundamentally, it's about being comfortable with with who you are. And you know, and I guess that that is so much my philosophy that I worry about all the different messages that are being um, projected, I guess. Well, I think it's it's one of the many things I love so much about the way you work and your approach and your outlook. It's like when you talked about the tube map earlier, people are complex. You know, we're, we're, we're biological, we're emotional, we're physical, we put all of those things together. And when things are boiled down, to the nth degree uh, in the media, that, that could be a tweet or it could be a Daily Mail headline, e.g. alcohol is good for you, one week later alcohol gives you cancer, bingo. Um, but also in science publication stuff, you know, whether it's through publication bias or the things that will or won't get published or people who are interested in publishing or not, you're not necessarily getting everything once that's been boiled down. And one of the uh, difficulties for science, particularly in sports science, is how do you account for this complex machinery but boil it down to a variable you can measure that advances the current learning? So in all of those things, there's a restriction, and you manage a, an incredible job, I think, of ma covering all of those bases, the human side, the performance side, the black and white science side, the fact that everybody's different, and um, you know, not getting uh, too distracted by the flack going on in in the Daily Mail or, or these days on on certain areas of social media, which are just going to polarise it and boil something down into it either gives you cancer or it doesn't. It's either good for you or it's not. Um, and you know, that's all to your massive credit for being able to do that and shed light on these things in a broader way, which educates people to be the best they can be and, and also be happy with where they are. Thank you. That that actually means a lot because I have to admit, this week, this week has challenged me <laughs> quite a bit in terms of social media. And I did think, sometimes I did think, like, like what what is the point? Like, what are we doing? And I think a lot of this, a lot of it comes personally. This week, I've had a very challenging week in clinic. I've had some very, 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 very unwell people, and I think that's a side of my job that people don't see because I don't share it and I won't be sharing it because it's it's confidential and it's you know it's it's difficult but I have individuals that are very stuck and and it upsets me and you know and some people really get to me they you know they they get me and so and you absorb some of that as well Oh, 100%. And it's not just the one-to-one the -one stuff you do in clinic. It's all the messages you get afterwards. It's all the emails that you wake up to every morning about, you know, how desperate they are and how they need to change. But, you know, it's hard. It's not an easy job. I think people just sometimes think all I do is write nutrition plans and send people on their way. And then I don't. It's, it's, it's complex. Um, but I think, like, there's been a lot of talk this week about you know, influencers and health professionals aligning to brands and being paid partnerships and 
um, promoting stuff that's not strictly clear in terms of the actual outcome of that using that product and and changing your um, you know changing your your beliefs to to promote something and I've said this to you before on so many occasions I never align with a brand that I wouldn't use myself because what's the point I can't make something up if I don't like it or it doesn't work for me or I don't believe in it because it's not got the right um the right com- composition for what it's trying to do so so you know I'm I'm very very I'm very authentic about that it's something that I'm very very um strict about and also one of the reasons I don't have paid partnerships with anybody on Instagram because I'm I'm you know I feel like it's quite important from my point of view but it's not just that it's something that's really got to me this week has been the the unauthentic nature of influencers and celebrities as well you know like there's been a few people who are very very well known recently coming forward with the fact that they've had eating issues. And if I'm honest, I clocked it probably four or five years ago. Like I'm a trained eye, so I can I can see it. I can I can see it. And it frustrated me then because I'm like, you're portraying this this whole physique, this whole lifestyle. Um, you're telling people that you know you can be this way to a certain degree and be healthy, because that's kind of what you're you're you know promoting it's not just celebrities it's sports people as well like I think it's really important to understand that some sports individuals are not healthy there are many elite level athletes unfortunately who are out there and they aren't healthy because of the processes they have and they're getting results at the moment but they are not healthy and unfortunately that message is then being you know sent out to all of us and we go, well, if we look like that, or if we train like that, or if we eat like that, we'll also be as successful and as, you know, as, as, as good at that, as, as good as them. And, and that really bothers me because I know that these people are unauthentic and it, it upsets me because I see the impact of that daily in clinic. And I suppose sometimes I want to I want to shout and scream and go, do you know what? Come and spend a day with me in clinic and see what your work is doing to these individuals. I'm not saying it's causing them, but it's definitely contributing because people assume that they can train, you know, whatever, twice a day, every day with a job and a family and not eat enough because that's what they're seeing somebody else do. And and I think it's just not real. Well, I, I think it, it's something we've talked about before, and, and you know, with, with reference to to health and performance at, at the elite level, in that particularly in in aerobic sports. So we're going to talk the cycling, the swimming, the running, the triathlon, uh, and particularly in the endurance arena, uh, there is a fine line between racing weight and deeply unhealthy. Um, and that fine line, actually the acceptable part of that fine line has been in a very unhealthy place for a long time, particularly with younger athletes and athletes who are well embedded into the system. Some succeed, some don't, but, um, I'll liken it to a cycling peloton. We'll use that as a, as an image. You've got riders being spat out the back, you know, in all of these sports, there are those athletes who are nearly, 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 and snap, they break, uh, often at a young age. And then they pop out of the system. Well, there's another 10 waiting to take their place. No problem for the system. Where do those athletes go? They've now got a sense of self that was attached to a sport that they have dedicated their lives to. They are not old enough to have gained another sense of self yet. The one that they were building has not been formed and has just been taken away. The only anchor they had is now gone. Um, pretty easy at that point if there's been a brutal focus on your weight for performance for you know apparently necessary reasons then that you may become you may have an eating disorder it may become hormonal there may be all sorts of other knock-on problems and just to paint the picture for people give or take these are the athletes who you spend a lot of your professional time dealing with in clinic to try and put them back together hormonally physically emotionally nutritionally in it and every which way so um there is a brutality in that landscape. It is changing, but it is taking time. It's good that people are speaking out at last, but I could see that when you're confronted with the difficulties of that system on a daily basis, to have someone, 
uh, you know, relatively frivolously on Instagram going, you know, well, don't eat this and do this and you can be like me when you know that person's also unhealthy, hardly helpful. And I, I take your point completely. Come and spend a day with me in clinic. See, see, what, see what the downside of your message is. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, again, you've put it really eloquently. It, it is it is a brutal place. Um, you know, there is there's a statistic that came out in 2013 and I'm sure it's higher now. But in 2013, a statistic came out showed that, you know, only 54 percent of junior athletes make it to senior level. And that was just in athletics. So and that's due to overcompeting and overtraining. Um, and I see a majority of those. You know, and, and, and it's like, how do you, like you said, how do you put someone like that back together again? And how do you give them a sense of self? And how do you help them to realize that they are more than just, you know, a runner or a triathlete or, you know, how do you do that? And why is it so important? You know, like, um, and, and I think that's, that's probably the biggest challenge that we have. You know, I've been speaking to a dancer before I was on the call with you and, she is very, very aware that the, the restrictive behaviours that she's had previously has meant, you know, she's amenorrheic, she's got um, osteoporosis, she's, you know, she's not in a great place. And I'm assuming uh, she's not exactly old either. No, no, she's in her 20s. Yeah, and amenorrheic, excuse me, is that no periods, is that right? No periods, yeah, okay. yeah. So, you know, um, you know, she's coming out to 10 years. Wow. So... So, you know, like, this is the reality of what I deal with. And she she's really flat right now because some of the processes we've had to put in place to help her move forward, she, she finds very, very difficult. And, you know, one of those is we've had to take away high-intensity training. She can still do some training, but we've had to take away high-intensity training, which she has become dependent on for a hit. For that dopamine hit, for that you know endorphin hit, um, she's also amenorrheic, which means she has no estrogen. So, you know, when you have low estrogen or low testosterone, the guys don't get away with it either. Mm. It it mentally affects you because you your mood is is it affected? You know, it's a, it's a neurotransmitter, so it, it it can make you feel low. There's a reason why postmenopausal women are get get low until we can sort their hormones out again. You know, it's it it's all it's all there in the science but again we don't you know that's the thing we don't apply we don't look at what we know from real population and put it into well these are still human beings they're not suddenly um individuals that are you know immune to the the the, the processes that we're putting them through um and you know it's it's hard and, and one of the things i said to her today was you know, I understand that you feel like you've got this huge loss, but nobody is saying to you that you will never dance again. Nobody is saying to you that you will never enjoy that again. But right this minute, you have to focus on more than just being a dancer. And you have to look at all the other things that make you the person you are and, and help you to impact the world like you know we talked about her friends and we talked about her family and we talked about some of the other things that make her put a smile on her face and I'm like these are still things you can do but because her identity is so so ingrained in the dance and the dance world she'd almost lost sight of the fact that there was more to her than than just just being a dancer so it is it, it's a complex picture as we've said it is very complex and I think you know, there's, a, there's also a reason why not many people work in this field, because it is complex and it's hard to understand. And it's one that, you know, you, you know, you may have, I have personal experience of it, but I also have professional experience of it. And so it's one of those that you use that personal experience to have the understanding, but you don't use what worked for you to work for somebody else. You have the understanding of what they're experiencing, which gives you empathy and helps you to engage with them. But the professional work is around learning and education and understanding that we are more than just one system. You know, we are complex. And that it, it can't be reduced down to simply one factor. And, and I think that's where another area that we've connected so well is if it comes to nutrition, there isn't a one size fits all. But in the same way that Overtraining, under eating, hitting weight can lead to highly damaging 
consequences for athletes at all levels. Um, eating foods or supplements that have only got half of their nutrition in them or that what's there has been baked out of it and replaced with flavorings and sweeteners or whatever, none of that's really going to help either. So some of it can be quite simple. Like if you can, sleep well, be happy, enjoy time with your friends, enjoy your sport, and eat a varied diet with a lot of fresh food, food little fresh fruit and veg in it, you're not going to go far wrong. So I don't think it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom for people out there, but on, on the cutting edge and literally on, on the battlefield that you're seeing, there's an entire world of professional sports out there that is behind, uh, you know, Olympic glory, track glory, um, and our idols and our heroes. Um, and our idols and our heroes in some cases are, are our idols and our heroes, but for the grace of God, they, they could have been one step away from, from your clinic or someone else's, and they may be one step away from it. You know, retirement is a whole other package for a lot of those people as well. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that, that is done in professional sport, but would you really want to go there? I mean, it's a, that's, a, that's a certain type of a life. Absolutely. It's funny, actually, I was talking to one of my friends the other day who, who is desperate for it. You know, she is, she's already a pro triathlete, but she's hungry for it. It's really important for her. Is that a pun? Um, she actually is hungry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm good at puns. <laughs> and, uh, and we were chatting and she's like, you're so, you're so like laid back about your training. You're so laid back about, you know, your running and your achievements. And, and I'm like, well, I, I've never wanted to be an elite athlete. It's not part of my it's, it's not something I've ever wanted it's not even something I've ever really dreamed of it's it, you know I, I and she found that really hard to understand so I guess it kind of demonstrates the different mindsets that you're in and I'm I am as you know you've met me a few times I am an incredibly driven and um perfectionist mindset person like I am hard on myself and I'm critical and I put everything into whatever I I do but I still don't want to be an elite athlete. My running is very much about me. It's about chasing adventures, I think. It's not even really about performance anymore. It's just about, well, I want to go and visit that country, so I'm going to go and find a race, and I'm going to go and have an adventure and see who I meet. You know, it's, 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 that's what it's about for me, and it's about finishing. So, yes, I put the training in because I want to be strong enough to finish, and I want to get the most out of what I do, but I don't need it to be my entire life. And I think... I'm not saying everyone needs to be like me at all, but I think I do worry about particularly the younger generation who might see becoming a professional sports person as kind of like an easy life. Like, you know, again, because of what's portrayed, you see footballers. You you only see the successful end product. Exactly. And then I guess... I worry that people think it's an easy life and actually it's not an easy life. There's a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot of unhealthy behaviors and like with anything, and we've both bought, you know, we've both built our businesses up from scratch. Like with anything, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of kind of mistakes along the way that you learn from and you have to be okay with that. And I worry that sometimes the new generation that's coming through, they're not very good at failing because because of what they're being shown, not because they're, you know, they're different to us. It's just that because they see on social media that everybody's succeeding all the time, they believe that that's, that's what should happen, that we should have this instant outcome. And uh, I was, I was talking to uh, my mentor. So I have a mentor and I was talking to my mentor about this. I said, you know, something's just dawned on me. He goes, yeah, go on, tell me. And I was like, well, I'm a very highly productive person. Like I am you know, highly productive. And that means I want outcome. Like that's how I am. Um, but I also want it on my time frame, So I can be quite impatient. Should we put it that way? I know that feeling. Um, and I said, <laughs> I said, I realized though, that you can't really apply that to every situation in life because time frame is different for what you do. And it's something that I've been talking to a lot of my clients about because they work with me and then they want, they like six months later, they're like, well, I still don't feel any, I'm not different. I'm not feeling any better. And I'm like, well, you are, there's been a lot of changes because that's not getting to you anymore. And you're not doing that anymore. And you know, but this is not a quick fix. This is a, this is a process and it's an ongoing 
journey and I'm not saying you need to continue working with me forever but it's one of these things that you can you continually evolve from so I have to remind myself as well that sometimes the the outcome is not something that's going to happen within the time frame that I believe it's going to happen it might be something that will definitely happen but it will be you know at, at the right time for for when that time is and maybe you know things that you are unpicking with with athletes and and clients are not things that happened overnight they've taken 10-15 years to manifest if not longer Um, they're going to take some time to to start moving the other way and and to get to a point where there, there are real big steps being made but one of the things that it really seems you're committed to is making a difference making a positive difference in people's performance and, and in their lives. And I think that's something we, we both share. Um, but for people who are listening or, or watching this, one of the, the big things for everybody is you know making a positive difference in their own lives, whether that be their health, whether that be their performance. I mean, the two are inextricably linked, whether it be their enjoyment. And the sort of one of the big aims of these conversations is to is to help people broaden their toolkit and their outlooks and horizons and be able to have a broader spectrum of influences to, to draw upon to push themselves in the right direction. So for people who are looking to make those positive improvements in, in their own lives and performance, in the context of what we've looked at as in you know, the dark side of professional athletic sport, which can get very dark, um, the potential risks of intermittent fasting which can be a gateway into that dark side result if not used properly um, and the ideas of you know training and life and I mean I'm sure there may be some elite athletes listening but the majority are going to be you know amateurs juggling work life family and everything else how, how do you best advise that people maintain a healthy outlook on all of that while delivering some you know the kind of positive change they want to want to see in their own life or performance that's a big question <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to get it out <laughs> um, i mean you don't have I to guess. nail it all down in one this is why really this is why you're back on a second time we'll, we'll have it episodes <laughs> three and four don't worry this is like like the, the where i began with that something that took 15 years to become an issue you're not going to iron it out overnight so this is a kind of question of a lifetime but you know we could just deal with one piece of it. Whatever, whatever comes uh, comes to mind as as most relevant for you right now. I think I think it's an exercise I try and do myself, and I'm not very good at it, but I think it is an important one. Is is almost to look at the components of what makes up you. So, as in, for me, it's work, family, training, friends, uh, dog. You know, just like walked that. out a shot earlier. Obviously, finished his sleep. Is he? Is he? Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's got a really hard life. Um, <laughs> so, um, but and and then looking at at the moment where I'm at with that, like how am I apportioning my time around that? So for me, unfortunately, at the moment, the biggest amount of time has been taken up with work, and that is having an impact on my training, and that is having an impact on my 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 family life. So you know, I you know, single mum with two girls, and and. And it's having an impact on that. And it's something that I have had to sit up and take notice of this week and go, hmm, all right, this is not working. So it needs to be adjusted. And I think just having awareness of your behaviors and having awareness of your energy levels and, and how much time is being taken in different things. I think it's so easy to think you've got to do it all. And it's impossible to do it all. And it's really impossible to do it all well as well. So in this situation, I have decided that training probably is the thing that I'm not letting go of, but I'm also not putting pressure on myself. So I spoke to my coach and I said, look, I know you've set all this this training for these next couple of weeks. I'm There is no way that's going to happen because I've got all this going on in my life. And he's great. And then he was like, no, I, I'm hearing that from you. I said, so all I want from you at the moment is the accountability that I go and do something um, because I've got, you know, Mustang coming up in nine weeks. So I want... Um, Which is not a small race. No, <laughs> it's not. Um, so Remind I want, me, sorry, what, what, what are the metrics on that? It, so it's 220K in eight days at altitude. Um, I can't remember exactly what the overall ascent is, but it's it's 
something like 15,000 meters in total. And this is in Nepal, right? Have I got yes. the right? Like, okay. So, I mean, altitude, tough trails, long distance, repeated days. Um, you know, it's that's a significant undertaking and it's something you want to be able to enjoy, right? But you've also got a lot of things to balance it against. But for some people, the race could become all-consuming. Exactly. And for me, I know that that race is, the way the way I'm thinking about the race is it's time out. So it's time out from my life. Um, it's time out from my phone. Um, and it's time out from my clients. No offense, clients, but I need a break every now and again. Um, because I have to restore myself to be able to go back to them and, and be able to support them. So, um, but it also, I know I've worked out that there's something about being in the mountains that makes me feel like me. And every now and again, I need a reminder of that to kind of come back and feel energized and able to cope with, with the fact that, you know, life can be challenging and it can throw curveballs at you. And, and so the way I look at Mustang is, it's not about performance. It's not about being the best or even being able to complete com complete something extreme. It's not about what people think about me. It is truly for me. It is truly time out for me to regain balance and um, and I know that it will do that because I've I've been to Nepal before and I know it's my happy place and it, it helps me to 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 feel like I need to feel. Um, I also like the fact that I generally go to these races and nobody knows who I am or what I do. And that also really helps because you don't have to talk about food and training for a while. <laughs> so it's quite nice. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and it's an adventure. Like I am a real adventure seeker. I love adventures. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel content and happy. So, so I take the pressure off in terms of I don't need to be in the best physical shape of my life, but I need to be in the shape that means I can finish it and enjoy it at the same time. So I spoke to my coach and said, you know, this is how my life is at the moment. And I just need you to know that I probably can't do that session and that session because I've got 12 hour clinics and it's just not going to happen. Um, and he's great. And he will move things around for me or he'll say, do you know what, let's forget about that. Let's just focus on this today or, you know, so and I think that's what I, it's quite good to have mentors in your life and to have a support system. I suppose that's another thing I would say to people is have a support system. My support system is quite wide. I have a work support system. So I have people within um, my work capacity that prop me up, you know, like they do my, I've got my team that do all my digital content and they talk to me all the time and they're always asking checking in and making sure that there's nothing I'm feeling pressured about um I and within that team they manage my diary so that means that if like we've just looked at next week I have got eight new clients that's a lot of new clients so they've already gone okay well we're not going to put any more new clients in now for two weeks so you know that they're very good at supporting me from that point of view and it's something I've had to work up to to allow somebody else to be involved because I'm a control freak so um you know but I then also have my immediate friendship group that are very very good at getting me out of a hole because I am already obviously married to my job they are very good at going right we're going dancing or we're going out for dinner tonight or let's go for a coffee and and that's really important for me because if I didn't have that balance it, it would be very easy to focus on on just work and and nothing else um and then I guess, you know, in terms, so, so support networks, I think are really important. Then also I've got, you know, I've got a coach and I've got mentors that I look up to who help me to just discuss business aspects, but also client aspects. Some are, some are very complex and you need someone to share that with. So it's, you know, there's, it's important, I think, to have that. And some people may have that within their immediate family, like with partners and, you know, parents and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and some people don't. So you have to create that. And I think it's a really fundamental part of surviving life and getting the balance right. You do need someone who you can be accountable to. And although it might wind you up when they say you shouldn't be doing your training at 5 a.m. or you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't. Maybe you just need to have, have a have a rest day today. It's actually good to have someone who checks in with you like that. Um so I know I do that for a lot of people as well. Like I, I check in on a lot of my friends and I check in a lot of people that I work with and go, do you really need to do that? 
you know like um but that's that's because I want to do that for them um but equally I have people who do that for me you know especially with work um so I guess they're my two so far the things I can offer but obviously I'll, I'll keep thinking and then when I come back for episode three and four I'll come up with some more uh, more exciting things to tell you <laughs> no no there will be loads more I'm sure but I, I really love that the accountability idea turned on its head bringing bringing us full circle to where we started as in um, very easy to see intermittent fasting as a, an easy benefit actually you you can turn it on its head it has a downside you need to be aware it may not be for everyone um, accountability is so commonly used in uh, whether it's business or whether it's sport or whether it's training in terms of getting you to do it. Um, you have flipped it on its head there because there are times when your accountability needs to get you not to do it. It needs you to pull back the intensity. It needs you to go, do you know what? I've been working a 12 hours a day for the last five days. I've got three social engagements on Sunday. I'm doing stuff with the kids on Saturday. And by the way, I'm going to do a 100-mile bike ride on Saturday morning. Do you know what? Well, maybe you should just not do the bike ride this week or whatever it is. Look at it in context of the total stresses in your life. That point on its own is worth its weight in gold, uh, as is everything to do with the, the intermittent fasting and you know some of the, the downsides of pro sport that we've done then. Um, Rena, you've absolutely over-delivered once again. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me back. I, I feel very honoured. And um, obviously, you know that I think, you know, you guys are great in what you do. And I love the fact that you're so responsible with your messages. So that that's really important to me as well. Uh, we, we, we couldn't do it without great people like you on the team. So look, that, thank you for coming back on. I look forward to you breaking the ground of being the first person to do three episodes with us. And <laughs> um, thanks for making the time for this today. It was absolutely wonderful. My pleasure. And I'll speak to you very soon. So there you have it, folks. The downsides of intermittent fasting. Quite literally, food for thought. Ironic, really, when the subject is about not eating anything. Um, but as you can see, it is a complex picture. Uh, if you are interested in it, then uh, I hope you've enjoyed that podcast and uh, use that to inform whether you do or don't uh, make intermittent fasting something that you do. Uh, so yeah, what were your thoughts? Is it something for you? Is it something you'd rather avoid? Um, and is it something that you've had trouble with in the past or you know other people have? Anything like that, please do share those thoughts with us in the comments below or reach out to us. All of our contact details are in the show notes. Um, and whatever happens, we really hope you've enjoyed this one. Have yourselves a uh, great week and weekend of training and racing. And we'll be back with another episode in a week's time. We we'll look forward to catching up with you then. Thanks for joining.